Are you feeling unfulfilled in life? Do you check your calendar to see when your next moment of fun is scheduled? Do you have a desire to write, paint, woodwork, but you don't know why? You've been a type A perfectionist for far too long, but it's not too late to be type C, the creative type. Welcome to the Type C Podcast with Jane Bite Me. Jane is a corporate lawyer who also writes paranormal novels. The purpose of this podcast is to help you rise above the fog of mundane life and carve out space in your schedule to shine your bright creative light. I'm the host, Jane. Obviously, this is Type C Podcast, and we are joined by Jocelyn Lindsay, who is my uh, writing coach and my biggest support my motivator, my football coach, my keeps the characters straight. She laughs with me. Um, you name it. That's what a, a book coach is. However, I would say anyone that is going through the writing process or any transition from type A to type C, one thing we've learned from all of the episodes so far is that you cannot do it alone. And for me, I didn't have a lot of time, so I wanted to find someone that was focused purely on me. <laughs> and that's why I found um, Jocelyn. And um, we've had a great relationship so far, and I thought it would be helpful to talk to her about some of the things that she notices when people are going through the, the transition from type A to type C uh, and what what she tries to tell them to encourage them to keep going, patterns she realizes, and all the wonderful things that she's told me whenever I wanted to give up or, you know, do whatever. So, Jocelyn, yes. what? let's give a little bit of your background first. What made you want to become a writing coach? Why, why is that even a need? Um, so my background is really eclectic. I have always been a story word nerd, loving writing, reading any form of story I've totally been into, but at some point I had, and, and I think a lot of people come to this thought. And when I came to it, it was like, I need to pay the rent. I need to be able to like eat food. I, I, you know, stories aren't going to like feed me. I can't, I can't eat stories as much as I would have loved to. Um, so I got out of college and went into IT and became a website developer because that's what creatives do, right? And suddenly I'm dealing with code and, you know, so I spent many years, just about two decades as a uh, website developer, always trying to figure out how to get back to, to stories and how, how to help writers and how to tell, how, how to help people um, reach their dreams of becoming writers and being published and getting more stories out into the world. And it took, it took me just about a decade. I was always involved in stories, but it took me just about a decade to work, to weasel my way around into um, the job I have now. And I think a lot of it has just become possible because of what's happened with the internet. Technology is making this possible. Um, so I want to I want to um, back you up just a little bit there. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, when you say the stories, get back to stories. Why is that more special than you know? Say, get back to accounting or to other technical <laughs> skills. Like, there's something about the story, and what is it that that really strikes a chord with you? I'm sorry that that's a difficult question, but no, no, no. That that that's fine. Um, I mean, there's stories with accounting. I mean, as as a as a story nerd, I can come up with stories about everything. But you know, mm -hmm. accounting stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I th I think part of the reason things have been so eclectic for me is I can come up with the stories for all the things and. We are stories as humans, stories are our transactions between each other. It, it's, you know, you meet somebody and it's, who are you? Where do you work? Where are you mm -hmm. from? We're immediately, we're immediately dealing with in a currency of stories with each other. And we're always telling stories about ourselves, even when we don't realize that's what we're doing. And I think we're really, as humans, hardwired for stories in a way 
that, I mean, I, we don't know if any other species is, but in dealing with each other, we are absolutely hardwired to communicate in stories. And I think that's just part of how we, how we are, how we're put together. I think that's interesting that you hesitated whether or not there are other species because that shows your fantasy, <laughs> urban fantasy <laughs> roots there <laughs> where you're not willing to like rule it out, possibly because you've worked on my stories where there are other species. Um, so from what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like stories, it's about human connection. Yes, absolutely. And so it sounds like for you, it's about facilitating the human connection between the writer and the reader. Yes. And, and writing is a medium of conveying stories where the reader who is experiencing that story can slip on the skin of another character. They mm-hmm. can go into another world. They can, mm-hmm. they, they participate in that world as that character. Movies are, we're watching it. We are disconnected. We are not in the skin of that character, knowing what they feel, knowing what they experience, knowing how that, that interior, that interior story of their mind is impacting them. And, and in a book, you can put on any character. You can put on a vampire. You can put on, you know, a serial killer. You can put on a duchess from, you know, England. You can be anybody. And um, that's really the power of writing. So when you talk about the power of writing, what specifically over the reader, you mentioned that, what about the power of writing over people that want to become authors? What do you see Um, some of the common traits are of someone when they become more confident in their work or when they're first starting out um, to that person that's first starting out, what do you tell them? Will they will look like at the end of the journey? Well, for most writers, when they first start out and you ask them, why are you writing this book? They're usually being compelled to get their story out into the world. They want an audience. Sometimes that means um, making money, having it as a job, but for most writers, there is something that is driving them to share this story, this idea, this creation um, with the world. They, their, their story is demanding an audience. It needs to be read. The writers I work with are not writers that just like write out a book, finish, finish a story and stick it in a drawer. They mm-hmm. are being driven to get that work out. Tell me about and, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a very different type of writer than, yeah. um, and there's nothing wrong with the hobbyist that sits in the basement and writes vignettes and writes little stories or writes a journal or whatnot. Um, but the writers that I'm working with really are compelled. And, and for most of them, that's the driving force. They've got to get it into the world. Money is great. They, you know, they'd love a bestseller, but they are just, they've got to spread that idea. It, it can't be by itself. And so what I end up telling um, a lot of writers is, okay, so you want to share this idea. You want to share these characters. We've got to get it into a form that's shareable. Right. <laughs> There's a certain amount of translation that comes from this beautiful idea in your head that you want to share with everybody to the page. Mm-hmm. And a lot gets lost in translation. So a lot of it is, okay, we've got to get the story out of your head onto the page in a form that your reader can consume it. And that's where a lot of the work goes. And, and you talk about, so you're, for me anyway, that's one of the best parts about having a writing coach was that you are a sounding board for ideas, but you're not like distracted, you know, or you're 100% focused and we're in the zone and we're just talking about ideas, which I think is phenomenal. I, I think it's like um, symbiosis or I think there's some corporate buzzword they use when you put two minds together. Um, it's really helpful. It's really helpful. So what about, um, I know that you've mentioned the creator syndrome. Can you talk Uh, about that? Because I think that is something that is so common that holds people back from 
writing their story and that they think that they're not good enough. We've heard, we've heard that a lot from my guests that, you know, you're not going to be perfect when you start. Yeah, that, that, that idea and creatives are really susceptible to the imposter syndrome. And I see a lot of it show up as perfection. That idea of um, needing to that one, one that I'm too old, I'm too boring. I'm not experienced enough, especially with new writers. I'm not good enough. Who cares? Why bother? Um, if it's not perfect on the page, who cares? Why bother? If it's not perfect in my head. Um, and that that's just a manifestation of a fear, especially with these writers who their stories are very, I mean, it's like, it's like a little baby. I mean, their stories are these very dear, precious, vulnerable things. And putting that out into the world is really scary. Mm -hmm. And it, it, there's, there's a big difference between um, a can of soup and a, a work you have worked on. And for writers who are writing to sell and get it out in the world, you have to kind of meld those two ideas together because you are building a product and that perfectionism um, really starts coming in when you can't get anything onto the page. Um, you've, you can't get the idea. I can't show it to anybody till it's perfect. I can't publish it till it's perfect. And then you end up with writers who have spent five plus years working on the same book. I would feel more comfortable streaking down the street than publishing. <laughs> I'm not going to because it's too cold outside. <laughs> it's 65 here in Florida. That's about as cold as I can. That's my streaking limitation is 70. But that's what it feels like. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. You're naked. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're laying your soul bare. The creative mm -hmm. soul is, it's very personal and... You know, I was thinking about this a lot when we've talked about the type A personality that becomes a type C personality. And in our culture, especially, we have a very um, negative view of creatives. They're lazy. They're not all together. They're scattered. You know, um, they're out in la la land. You know, we think of creatives as sitting under the bridge singing and playing drum circles. And so we think of creatives negatively. And so I think a lot of the fear of, per of perfection and that imposter syndrome, when you start creating as a writer, and I'm sure, I, I know, I know I would put money. I don't know how many people have asked you, but I know people have asked you, is your book done? When's yes. your book going to be done? Yeah. How's Can the writing? Or, what, yeah. Yeah. They want, they're looking for production. They're looking mm -hmm. for like the factory answer. Um, mm -hmm. Most people don't understand writing a book, but they're still looking for that. What, what we consider, um, in the United States, especially, they want that production. They want to know when is it done? When is it going to be stamped? When can I buy it? When can I see it? It has to be a physical thing and then it's a product and then it's real. Right. So as creatives, that's really intimidating. You don't want to mm -hmm. tell anybody because you don't want to hear when's your book done? Weren't you still, why are you still working on this book? How you were working on this book a year ago. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Yeah. They don't understand that there's that it, it's a creative process. I can't just push a button and have my brain cooperate. I have to be in the no. right space. No. And especially when people will stress me out and then say, well, go right. It's like, no, you just stressed me out. <laughs> I, I'm not in the right mindset to create. Yeah. So people yeah. don't people don't understand that. It's um, not a button. No, there's no, I wish there's no button. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the things that you tell people creatives as they're sort of getting stressed out and they hit the perfectionism? I know with me, with my major revision, you are like, cut it out. You have an editor for that. Like, don't stop panicking over the most perfect, the perfect word. Um, but what, so that was one piece of advice you gave me, but what are some other pieces of advice that you give writers who are leaning into that perfectionism a little bit too much? 
the big one that I, I repeat over and over and I want to turn into a bumper sticker is it does not have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And readers want a good story. They do not want a perfect story. I want to back up though, because readers do get annoyed with grammatical errors. So that's different. Okay, so you're saying get the when you say get a solid story together, you're talking about plot. You're talking about those sorts of of right. uh, I guess components versus the minute details that you can actually give to someone get like get an editor or get yeah okay right yeah a a reader wants to read a story that makes sense that's fun that's entertaining um a lot of that depends on the genre a lot of that depends on the author and the story but for the most for the most part a reader wants a good story they want to be entertained they want to they want to become a part of a different world for a while they want they want to create that um, that currency with that story of sharing a story and entering that world and writers get caught in the minutia of well if i add this paragraph here if I change this page, if I, if I, if I, and 27 years later, they're still moving chapters around Mm -hmm. and the story would have been good enough. Um, It's the story. Um, Punctuation and getting it on a page, that's, that's the mechanics. That's, that's it on the page. But in terms of a story, some, some of our most popular stories are the simplest. Right. We tend to overcomplicate things and just keep like fluffing them out and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that's not necessary. A reader just want James Bond. Oh, it's, those are, you know, the Ian Fleming books are not like works of art. I mean, right. they're, they're fun stories. Um, Lee Child, those are fun mm-hmm. stories. Um for those kinds of readers, and again, I preface that with saying that it depends on the genre. That right. I mean, Howard's End or coming to it with something totally different, um, you're going to have a reader with a different expectation. So uh, when you see writers, um, let's say they get stuck, they're on those details, how do you help them get back into the creative flow? That, or do you have any tricks of the trade for someone to know that for them to recognize within themselves, oh, I'm getting stuck in the details? Or what do I do if I'm stuck on one part and I don't know what to do? Sometimes it depends on the writer because I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I, I love about what I do so much is that I'm really up in a writer's business every week. And I get to I get to learn who that writer is, and I know who I can say, knock it off, <laughs> finish the chapter, write the book, stop screwing around. And other writers, it's like, okay, let's have a conversation. Why do you think you Why do you think you need to change this? Why do you think that you know how How do you think this is going to change the book? How, why, why are you having these thoughts? Why, why do you think that this character A, you know, is doing this to character B or um, then it be, then it can be a conversation. And um, it it really depends on the personality of the writer and how, and I learn how hard I can push them into what tricks and because some of them, it's just kind of like, stop it. You know, you're, you're, you just, just stop what you're doing. Just stop because right. um, a, a lot of that's the advantage of having a book coach and having somebody you're working with is you have skin in the game and you're paying somebody to pay attention to what you're doing and right, right. to stop you or to call your attention to when you go down the rabbit hole. Or just you just need to have someone that you can trust that. Yeah that can give you um, good advice. Yeah. And, and so that's important. I don't know if anybody can hear that, but that is my son in the background locking up my iPhone as we speak <laughs> so that I can do this. Um, so have you ever had to have a discussion with writers to take a break? Yes. I have the come to Jesus meeting. Yes, um, that? And, and some, sometimes that's just a conversation of, 
this is what I'd seen you're doing. This is a pattern. And that's is really, I can do this with writers that I've worked with a while with is to say, this is what I see you doing. This is a pattern. And now you're at a decision where you have to decide. Um, like I have one writer that would get to a certain point, the 50,000 word, which for 50,000 words into a book, which for many reasons is the magical, like, magical swamp for many writers she would get to that spot and then quit and, and then that's just right about that's about the middle right like yeah that's about the that's middle so that's about a normal novel like my novel uh, or uh, the trifecta is 103,000 words so 50,000 words you are halfway you're in it to win it you're it's, in it yeah. yeah and then it's like all of a sudden the quicksand comes up and this writer gets to that spot, stops and gets a new idea, gets to that spot, stops, gets a new idea. And then it's like, okay, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting because you have to decide why do you really want to write this book? Why, you know, why are you spending all this time doing this? And if you just want to write to the 50,000 word mark and stick it in your drawer, great. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to write a book and like sell it and be published, you got to finish it. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't just like, well, I guess you could sell the first 50,000, you know, words of 27 novels, but at some point, everybody's going to want the next 50,000 words. Um, yeah. I'm always very jealous of authors who are like, I wrote a 60,000 word book. I'm like, oh, that's, that's wonderful. I'm drowning over here in Viri and Vedma and everything else. And I've got 30,000 more words to go, but good for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just go on with your bad self. No offense, no offense, anybody. Um, so um, what about, so we talked about how they have to keep going. Now I have found that I do get 500 ideas when I'm in the middle of a book for other books. But what I have found is that I write those ideas down. I put them in a drawer until I am finished this book. And another thing that I've found, if I do write a story, if I feel compelled to write a story or more like spirit wants me to write the story that is not what I'm expecting to write, sometimes it's not always wasted. Sometimes it is, it could be backstory to your story. It could be character. It could be very rarely if there's, if I take like a little detour, very rarely is my writing wasted. Do you see that sometimes where sometimes, even if you start a book at the wrong place, maybe what you've ended up doing is just writing your character's backstory, which will ultimately help you anyway. Right. Yes, absolutely. And this, this is where a lot of imposter syndrome shows up when you have writers that the minute they put it on the page, it's sacrosanct. So they don't want to put anything on the page that's not perfect because they don't want to take it off the page. Right. So if they have an idea, it really derails them because they don't want to go put it on another page and stick it in a corner, stick it in a corner and not pay attention to it. But I'm, but what you've just described your process as is really important because you don't know where that's going to, you don't know where that's going to fit in. It might not show up again for, you know, the second or the third book or towards the end of the book. Um, and, you know, when it comes to self-publishing, especially, you don't know what characters are going to show up that are going to want their own book or their own series, right. or if you're going to have a prequel or you're going to, because really what you're doing is you're not just writing a series, you're creating a universe. Right. And that universe is going to have many different points for you, for readers to come into. And so all those ideas you have are still really valid. And this also comes up when editing starts happening because people get really precious about words they're taking out of their books. And I, and I, I've started, um, I tell writers, you're making a compost pile. You're taking your words out and you're putting them over here in this compost pile and you're either going to be able to pull them back out of there for something else, or they're going to be there long enough that they become really great soil for another idea for something else. That's a great and, analogy. Yeah. And I think it's about thinking of, you know, words aren't limited. 
there, there's not a scarcity on words. You don't get 500 words as a writer or 500,000 words as a writer and that's over. Um, it's thinking that these, this isn't my only idea. It's not my last idea. It's keeping, and the more ideas you keep having, the more you're going to keep having. And so it's just, it's like building that, um, that engine. It's an idea engine. Right. And that makes sense because you never know when you might want those ideas again, which is why it's great to have someone that you can run these ideas past because then they can remind you of these great ideas that you have since moved on from because right. you sometimes forget about that compost pile. <laughs> um, so when I started, when I first approached you, actually, it was to write a story from Duffy's perspective in the third person. And I think I had like 40,000 words of Duffy's story, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't deep enough. It wasn't, it didn't go surface. It was just kind of surface. So I did, but I didn't know. I was very surprised when Duffy made an appearance in, in the books. And I'm like, oh, there we go. Well, hello, Duffy. And so I have his backstory and I know a little bit of his future, but even that didn't go to waste. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to talk to you about that, though. It does bring up a good point. And that is when I was writing the Duffy uh, story, you told me that, and Duffy is one of the attorneys, uh, he joins later in the trifecta, uh, and he will continue on. So when I first reached out to you for the Duffy story, you told me that there was a layer missing. We're mm -hmm. missing the Duffy piece. And then, and I kind of sort of knew that instinctively, I kind of knew that I, maybe I wasn't going deep enough. I wasn't being bold enough. But then when I passed the Sloan layer to you, you definitely felt the Sloan layer. Is, is that something you can articulate to our audience so they know how to follow that hunch if they feel like they're not being bold enough? How do they know that they're not getting that layer? Oh, this opens up like this, this, this opens up such an awesome discussion that we could be here for hours talking about. Um, this goes back to that idea of why readers read and many readers read, whether they know it or not, and is, is that they are, and I wrote about this in my newsletter this week, they're putting on a jacket, they're skin shifting, they're, they're, cha they're changing their skins and putting on a jacket. And when, and, and they may not be aware of it while they're reading, they want to become back to James Bond. They want to be James Bond. They want to be Reacher. They want to be, you know, Sloan. They want to know what it's like to be in that world as those characters. And part of that is getting close enough to those characters that they're, they're in the head of their characters. It's not just, we talked about a minute ago about movies. You are watching the characters perform the actions as they go through the movie. And with a book, you can get off of their shoulder and behind their eyeballs and into a character's brain. So you are traveling through the world as that character. Mm. And that's really hard for a lot of writers, especially newer writers to do because they're still translating, they're still translating and channeling the story through their own perception. It's not Duffy telling you Duffy's story. It's, you know, the author, Jane, telling us Duffy's story. It's, right. you know, it's, it's not sitting across the table from Duffy. It's sitting across the table from the author. And, and so it's getting, Duffy sees the world way differently than anybody else in your book is going to see the world from you know, when he was born, where he was born, how he was raised, what he did. And so when we're in the Duffy lair and we're in Duffy's mind, his perception of everything and how he sees things is going to show up on the page way different than Sloan. Right. He's a, actually, he's a very soft spoken character. Yeah. So he's a little annoying because yeah, yeah. It, it, it has taken longer for me to get to know him than it did for Sloan. Sloan's he's kind of in quieter. your face. He's quieter. Yeah. Um, I still love him, but he's quiet. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Sloan yeah. is just kind so, of in your face. 
Yeah, she, she's just, she's a rocket ship. She's in your face. She has no hesitation in telling you who she is, how she sees the world and why her way is better. Right. And that, yes. and that perception of how she sees the world comes through on the page. Right. When I'm reading Sloan, I am Sloan for, I mean, I am experiencing the world through Sloan. Right. And I don't want to read Duffy with Sloan's voice. Right. That, that you know, they're all very unique. Mm-hmm. And so that Duffy layer, that Sloan layer is when I put on my Duffy jacket, I want to experience the world with Duffy and then take it off and put on the Sloan jacket. And, you know. Do you feel that that Sloan or that Sloan layer, that Duffy layer, that that is something a writer gets correct the first time? Because I feel, and maybe it's just because it's my first book, but I feel that it took me to my second or third draft of the complete story before I started to get snippets of Sloan, even Sloan. And she's a pretty strong character. So I, I feel like it's easier to get that full story out there, just put it out there and then worry about the layer of the character's voice. Exactly. I find with most of the writers I work with, that's, that's how, that's what happens. They, and a lot of this goes back to what's the writer's process because a writer might spend six months just writing vignettes like a Sloan journal. And so, but when they come to the actual book, they, they're in Sloan's head. But for a lot of writers, it's, it may be three quarters of the way through the first book. It may not be till the second draft that they really start getting into that, into that character's reality, into that universe. And going back to perfectionism, that really ties up a lot of writers. You mean I have to write four drafts? You mean I have to go through you? I have to read it. I have to do this again. And, and that can really hang up writers and trigger that perfectionism and that paralysis of, I did it once. I don't want to do this again. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> can I just like send it out now? And a lot of writers try and publish too early. That right. second or that third draft is really where those characters in that world start singing. And I noticed that with, especially with your world, when you're, when you're creating another reality, you need that second draft to start. Wh- what's going on here? What does PETA think about what's happening? What a, <laughs> you know, you start picking the things that are going on in the world. And that first draft is often just, verbal vomit it's often just bleh, just get it all out on the page and see what i've got you didn't even see the first draft the first draft was i don't know what's worse than vomit oh my first draft was terrible it was um yeah i mean for sure i think i think you absolutely have to go back uh, at least yeah. three or four times and uh you bring up a really good point um what would you tell an author or wannabe author who writes their first, second, third draft, they take it to an agent or they take it to an editor and they're rejected. What do you tell them? That is so heartbreaking and it is so common. Um, With traditional publishing, it ends up being a lot of rejections and with self-publishing, it's it's what I call crickets. Nobody buys it, nobody reads it. Um, It just like disappears and it's really painful. And a lot of that is just having the conversation with the writer. Why are you writing this book? Why did you first start writing this book? Um, I have a client that had an agent that had accepted her. She'd signed the contract. The agent couldn't sell the book and the agent dumped her. And she didn't go back to writing for a number of years because she was just, it took sometimes, I mean, it's a heartbreak. Your bro- your right. heart is broken, and and sometimes that's just you need some time to get over that, and to recognize because we take you know back to the creative side, we tend to think take things that we have created. There is an extension of us, and therefore re- rejection is personal. 
Right. And it's not just that somebody, hey, you know, I wasn't into this. I didn't like it. It's not, I thought I was reading X and it's Y. Um, what a writer often hears is you're short, fat, ugly, and stupid. Don't ever write anything. You know, God quit, you know, go be a barista, whatever. Right. It's, you know, a, the writer, the creative hears it as a total rejection of their existence. I mean, I, how many times do I hear don't write about vampires? I heard that so many times and then, you know, agents, not to, not to complain about agents, they're lovely people, I'm sure. Um, but they would snicker and they would say vampires are dead. Well, yeah, yeah. but they still sell books, right? Yeah. People yeah. love vampires. So um, yeah. I don't want to swear, but it's like, shut the F up. Um, you know, if it's a good story, let yeah. the story. So that brings up another point, which is if you get rejected, maybe just try to take that. So when I was writing the Duffy piece, I was rejected by an editor who I wanted to pay um, because she said that she didn't connect to the work. And that was really, really hard for me to hear. But you said the same thing, kind of, that there was no Duffy lair. And so what I had to I knew I wasn't going to give up at this point because I was kind of pissed off. <laughs> well, at, uh, that's what you need as a type C. You need to don't get sad, just get pissed off and figure it out. Um, so I got mad and I said, okay, what is this telling me? And really it was just telling me in my gut instinct that maybe Duffy wasn't the character that kept, wa kept wanting to come out. Um, it was somebody else. And so I had to re-examine that work. So sometimes that rejection that rejection is much better than a negative review on Amazon. Right. Yeah. And, and, and with agents, with traditional publishing with agents, I, I mean, I, I have friends who are agents and I love them. And this is not dissing traditional publishing at all. But an agent is looking at a work and a rejection is not necessarily that they don't like the work. Can they sell it? Right. An agent's job is to sell books. And if right. they can't go to a publisher with a book they can sell, they don't want to take it on. There might be somebody else who can sell it. But also, isn't it true? And I could be wrong. I don't know much about traditional publishing, but that publisher will only take that book because publishers have meetings within themselves and have to pitch books. So it's, it's like a three layer or two layer process of pitching. So it's the agent is pitching to an editor. Right. That yep. editor has to then go to his or her colleagues and say, I have the best book. This mm -hmm. is the one that we should produce. And then they have to go forward. So it's it's not just like that one, you're asking an editor at, the, at a publishing house to sort of put their reputation on the line and so there, there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics that have to right. go along with that, that you as an author cannot control. No, you have and no your story that. cannot control. So you no. have to just write your best story. And that's the best thing that, that you can right. do. Right. And, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be the perfect story. It just has to be the best story you can write and good enough. Right. Um, yeah. And I think we, we, we've, we've talked together a little bit about how, you know, transitioning from a type A personality to a type C personality. And I think there are a lot of skills that type A personalities have that um, enables them to transition to a type C personality really well. Um, it's been one of the most interesting things watching you write <laughs> and come in with your background because a lot of type C personalities, um, as we've said, get caught in the creative aspect of it, the perfection of the writing, and they're not removed enough to see it as the product that's going into the world. It's still, it's, it's another limb. They're seeing right. it as another limb of them themselves and what I see with you and your writing process it's I care about this I'm attached to it but if it's not working then let's get rid of it and figure out what is there you 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 are distanced from the writing enough not that you don't care 
but that you know from your own background to iterate through the process. It's not, if this isn't working, we'll do it again, we'll figure it out, we'll fix it, we'll do it again. It's you have that that background in that in that skill set that you know we'll just do it again. It's it's not personal. It's not it's not speaking poorly on me. It's just I'll do it till I fix it, and then I'll, once it's fixed, we'll do it again. And that has been a real joy to watch. And the <laughs> other thing that I think is amazing about how your mind works, and this is that type A personality. In your mind, you are so organized that watching you hold an entire outline in your head and then write it. Why do I do that to myself? Why can't I just put it on paper? I feel like the minute I try to put my outline on paper, it disappears. I don't know why. Yeah, I I wish. I wish it is organized. It's organized in here. You have it. it Yeah. It's yeah. not organized and down on paper. It's the same thing when I write closing arguments or um, any sort of argument for court. It's like yeah. the minute I try to put it on paper, it's gone. And it's yeah. like, gosh, it, but it's such a mess up here. It's, well, and it's, it's, <laughs> in so, my head. it's so fascinating to watch you work in that process because we'll have a conversation and some, there'll be like a collection of chapters, let's just say that are like this sort of messy thing and they need transitions <laughs> and more stuff needs to happen. And I'm watching you. And then I see those pages a week later and you've worked it all out. Without, it's just like, okay, here it is. This needs to go here. This needs to go there. You are intuiting that organization in a way that is just like, it's brilliant to watch because there's not, there's not this long talk over, okay, if Sloan goes here, what happens here? Now we need to talk about this for 20 minutes. You're just like, okay, I'll fix it. And then it's like fixed. So that organization. I don't think that's me. I think that is from the universe. Whatever is coming, it's from the universe and my shower. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. I haven't been committed to an insane asylum for uh, talking out loud, arguing with myself, my dogs, you know, my poor dogs have heard it all. Um, So I don't know, but thank you for that. But so I think, what people can take from that is just do your, do your process. Like you don't have to outline, like I don't outline. I wish I could, but the minute that I do, the characters have something else that they want to do, but I am, I am organized somewhat to tell the story. And I have someone that I trust that can help organize it for me a little bit to make it coherent where I can't, or sometimes if I'm stuck, um, I will just pause and just say, you know what, I'm just going to have to think on it and then mm-hmm. think on it. You cannot, one thing I've learned is you cannot force it. No. no, no. And, and every writer's, and I think that's really important what you're saying. Every writer has a different process. And as a book coach, I do not, I mean, it's not my job to try and get you to work to a particular process. It's my job to help you figure out what your process is so that you're writing the best story and book that you can be writing. Yeah, there's a lot of processes out there that writers can follow. And a lot, of, and I think a lot of writers feel like they have to follow a particular. Tell me what Stephen King does. How does Stephen King write a book? If I, if I know how Stephen King writes a book, I'm going to be able to write a book and a bestseller like Stephen King does. Right. That's not how it works. Yeah. And and so and I think back to perfectionism again. We can get caught up in looking for that silver bullet, and it's finding that yeah, you're organized. The you whether it's the the universe putting all of the information into your brain that you can then organize in your brain. However, that's coming through you. That's your process. Right. And me saying, okay, write an outline. I'm the one keeping more of an outline. I mean, I, I, cause I need it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do, it is helpful for me to go back and refer to your notes and it has kind of taken me, it's take, I'm sure it takes a lot of writers. Um, it takes them time to figure out what works for them. And you have to let the creativity as you become a type C, you have to let your type of creativity 
um, lead you to the best method. Like there are some authors, I want to say Michael Connelly, I could be wrong, but he, um, not Michael Connelly, there's someone else, but certain authors will talk about how they outline and outline and outline to the point where they can hand in their outline and it's the book. And that doesn't work for me. Uh, I wish it did. Or cer- other certain, you know, authors have different methods. I, another thing I'd say is don't waste your time on YouTube like I did for like 10 hours straight trying to find the perfect outline because it might be that you're just not an outliner. No. Yeah. You might be a pantser in denial. In denial. Yeah. And, and we get, like we, like I said, we try and find the silver bullet that's going to get us on that bestseller track as fast as possible. And the reality is it's just a slog. There's no way around a certain amount of slogging. <laughs> it's just, right. yeah. And, and, and that changes. Your second book is going to be way different. You're going to find the process of book two and book three and book four are going to be different than one was. Right. I mean, my characters still don't cooperate, but, um, and I'm a little bit more of an a-hole to them as an author. I've definitely, after the slogging, I'm definitely like, they're getting it now. (laughs) Um, So I think that's interesting. And do you have authors who, who struggle with the slogging and how do you, how do you help them through that? Um, Again, it kind of depends on the particular author. Um, one, one author I'm working with right now, um, it's like, okay, we're going to start, we're going to make the outline and then that doesn't work. So now what do we work? And so now she's putting like, she's only, she's outlining as she goes as like a bulleted list at the top of each chapter. What do I need to accomplish in this chapter? What's going to happen in this chapter so that she's just keeping herself kind of going forward, knowing like moment to moment what needs to happen. Otherwise, if she's found, if she doesn't get those, she gets totally overwhelmed. Um, that's that paralysis part of imposter syndrome, that overwhelmedness of, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where to go next. There's too many options. I, I, I just don't know. And then she'll just like stop in the slog. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, get the little note. And, and we've been working on trying to find a way to just keep her moving forward. Keep, you know, keep a little bit forward at a time. Um, some of them, some writers get really caught in that. How do I go forward? And some, I have another writer that's just like, oh, I'm off. I'm running. I'm going. I got 60 pages done this week. I got, you know, I got. It used to be like that. Oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it just, it, it, it depends. And I'm trying to fit, you know, type A, type C personalities. Some of it, it's just experience. It's just, right. you've got to do it enough that it's the experience. I think certain, certain writers, they have done, especially ones who've had long careers have written so many books that it's just, it's a muscle memory to them. They intuit how they're supposed to be you know, what, what ha- they know what happens just because they've done it so much. They're just, the muscle memory is there and they don't need the tips and the tricks that they're doing. Um, they've been doing it so long, they don't need those anymore. When you're on book 15, we'll talk about this. And the board. <laughs> Oh, I thought about that today. Actually, I was like, you know, I feel like it's seven, but what if it's 15? And I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Jocelyn, where can people find you if they want to look you up as a book coach? Um, The the easiest place to find me is at my website at www.jocelynlindsay.com. And I'm over at Instagram as Jocelyn Lindsay as well. And we'll put that in the show notes for people too, so they can just click on it. And there was one other question I forgot to ask you, and that is uh, book writers groups. Why do I need a book coach? And I only have a few minutes left, so I'm sorry, but why do I need a book coach when I can just go to my writers group and get 12 pieces of advice? 
because it's 12 pieces of advice that may not know what they're giving you. I mean, it really depends on the group. Um, and you don't know, you don't know your six neighbors, you know, one, they may like all different kinds of stories and they may think Sloan really needs to be a plumber instead of a lawyer because they like books about plumbers. Right. Um, and, and, and they may be able to tell you someplace in the book what's, what's striking them that isn't working, but they more than likely won't know how to tell you how to fix it. I mean, they'll start offering advice and information that may not be accurate. And, you know, um, you, you want to, you want to get, you want to get good information on your book. And at some point you may find a writer's group that just gels perfectly and you all know enough stuff and it's wonderful, but it takes a long time. And I would say, so I love my writer's group. Uh, I belong to a writer's group in uh, Brandon. They're phenomenal. I would say though, as a writer who has, does not have my first book under my belt, I did feel I needed a little bit sturdier ground to stand on so that I can have my own intuition as to what I want my story to say. Um, so to, to be in a writer's group, I don't think I'm, I'm ready for that because I need to be able to parse through the information I'm getting and know what's what's applicable, what's not, what to trust. Who who can I treat as a fellow author? Take their advice. Who should I treat as another fellow reader and take their advice for as a general reader perspective versus an author perspective? Um, and also, I think I needed very sharp criticism. So I would well, not that you were criti- you ever criticized me, but I needed someone that was willing to attack my story. Uh, And sometimes writers groups, because you're exchanging stories, people are hesitant to give that candid feedback because they don't want to get it back on their own story. So, right. And that's another big thing about writers groups. You're also spending time on other people's work. It takes a very long time in a critique group like that to get through your whole novel. Right. Um, Because you're, 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 you're only able to exchange however many pages a month or however that is. So your process may be artificially slowed down because you're reading other people's work at the same time. You're not spending that time on your work. It's diffused through the rest of the group. Right. And so, so that would be, I think, another good piece of of advice. I mean, I'd be 50 years old still in that group. Uh, if I was trying to get this written, they Not- should be a margarita group. I, yes. I am totally for writers, margarita groups. You need people to help you get through the trenches emotionally and be there to like cry on their shoulders and lift each other up and laugh with, but, um, you want to be really careful about who you let in the pages of your book. I love that. I think that is a great Thing. Yes, be very, I would say definitely be careful in the beginning and um, find a couple people you can trust, get your support, and then write, just write the damn book. <laughs> Finish your damn book. That's- yes, that's right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Type C podcast with Jane Bite Me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To learn more about Jane and check out her books, visit janebiteme.com. And follow her on Instagram at Jane Bite Me. Until the next episode, keep shining your creative light. The journey is worth it.